0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. Kyle Madsen, still on his honeymoon. The guy is just all romance all the time. Uh, He'll be back with us next week. In the meantime, we have a very special guest, another very special guest, friend of the pod, our favorite cast member, Nick Wagner, ESPN NFL Nation reporter who covers the 49ers. Let's get to it.
2: Blue
3: wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
1: Right, nick so pulling back the curtain a little bit for our listeners this is our second attempt at recording this podcast we uh we tried a live in-person podcast uh recording at your place of residence turned out we had a technical difficulty in that audio never saw the light of day um that's why there wasn't a second podcast last week we apologize for that but we're back we're making up for it we're battling through it we are hoping not to have any technical difficulties this time but nick how are you, man? Thanks for coming back on. We,
3: we make no promises that this is going to be better than the one that you didn't hear. Uh, so I just want everyone to be aware of that. It's like the time—the only time in my life I dunked a basketball. It happened right as the power went out in the gym. It was crazy. Funny how that worked out. So all the best stuff always happens when no one's watching or listening. But uh, we'll try to, uh, as you said, power through and uh, and and get it going a little bit here. I,
1: I do want to say I thought we did an excellent job on that pod. It was like uh, eight innings of you know four-hit baseball if as you know if you're a starting pitcher shut out like it was it was high quality stuff from us and then uh and then technology just let us down but let's get back into it um there was a I don't know if it was a report as much as it was just a tweet uh from Matt Lombardo who covers the NFL and he tweeted something that said um I have heard that the 49 ers staff has been continually underwhelmed by Trey Lance." This was in response to somebody else talking about um, how if Jimmy Garoppolo stayed on the roster, whoever tweeted it was convinced that Kyle Shanahan preferred Mac Jones. That's a different discussion. But um, the coaching staff being continually underwhelmed, I so I I think continually underwhelmed might is are the two words, obviously, that stand out here continually continually is one that really stands out to me because there's been a massive turnover in the 49ers coaching staff, right? So there aren't a whole lot of members of the coaching staff around this spring who were also around last year, namely quarterbacks coach, Rich, Rich Scangarello, who is no longer around. And from what I've heard Scangarello um, and look, Scangarello is now the offensive coordinator over at Kentucky. So it's not um, all that surprising that there might be, a little bit of conflicting opinion between maybe somebody like that. And I'm not saying Scangarello said it, but just overall, I, I, just talking about him as an example of like, when you have a massive exodus of coaches, perhaps some of those people will talk to the media and say certain things continually underwhelmed. I would disagree with that based on what I've heard. Um, I know, you know, we've talked about it a lot that Trey Lance might've hit a wall midway through training camp last year, Um, as his practice reps declined, his play leveled off after a hot start to training camp. Um, I just don't think continually underwhelmed or continually underwhelmed is, is an accurate way to phrase it. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have both said they're very happy with Trey Lance to the point where they've been trying to deal Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think that's something that's kind of obvious. That's been sort of put on the back burner with, with a lot of these discussions, but Nick, based on what you've heard, you're very plugged in. Um, what's your take on the idea that the 49ers staff is, quote, continually underwhelmed by Trey Lance?
3: Yeah, let's start here. I'm, I'm not in the, the business. I don't make it a practice of questioning anyone's reporting, so I'm not going to do that. And I, I don't know, Matt, at all. I, I just... Uh, you know, I'm sure he there's probably somebody that he talks to that knows somebody or maybe he knows members of the coaching staff or former members of the coaching staff, whatever it might be. But all I can go off of is what I know and what I'm told. And I've said this multiple times. I said it, I think, on your show in the past. I know I've said it on other shows. The the idea that Trey Lance last season, as you mentioned, hit a little bit of a wall in camp. And I think even for the first part of the season, uh, I think he was Had, you know, just kind of working through it. And you have to remember, he hadn't played football really competitively in like two years. Uh, going into the to the season last year and so it would stand to reason that when he was asked to take on the workload that comes with playing quarterback in the NFL and going through the day-to-day of the job while also really just kind of getting his feet back wet playing football and mind you he just turned 21 I think he actually turned 22 today as we as we record this Uh, so there's a lot of things going on for him but what I had been told was At the end of the season, uh, really right around that Jacksonville game, late November, around Thanksgiving, is when things started to click for him a little bit in practice, and I was hearing the opposite of underwhelmed at that point. Um, I was hearing that they were very pleased with the progress that he had made, um, and, and that they were really happy with the direction uh, of his, you know, the fundamentals and some of the technique stuff, and and all the things that they thought he worked on, and I say that not just what I'm hearing on the record, but hearing off the record, and that's an important distinction to make because. Sometimes those two things don't always line up. You know, uh, a coach may, may try to, you know, build up his guy publicly, but behind the scenes, maybe something else is being said and those kinds of things. But after that point, really in late November, I heard nothing but good things throughout the rest of the season. I know they're really happy – with the progress that he made in the way he played against Houston uh, in that start, a game the 49ers had to have, um, you know, he, he didn't light the world on fire, but he was very solid in that game, certainly made enough plays to win it. Um, and so I think that they're really happy with that. And I also think to the point you made, they're pleased enough going into this offseason to say this is the guy that we're going to turn it over to and and obviously try to work to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, which hasn't happened yet. But I don't think that speaks to what they think of Trey Lance. It just speaks to the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo has a shoulder injury and a whole bunch of other better quarterbacks came available.
1: Yeah, and I, I think sort of, you know, there, there's been this whole discussion about Trey Lance's readiness, right? And I think it's kind of semantics by, you know, how you want to talk about it. Is Trey Lance ready? To lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl right now as we speak on Monday, May 9th? Probably not. Will he be ready to lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl uh, come January? Like that's an entirely different discussion, right? He will have a full training camp. He will have a full 17-game schedule and all of the practices that go along with that and all of the reps that go along with being the starting quarterback. So could he get ready? Yeah, he he could. Like, and it, it happens to it happens to, to NFL quarterbacks. When they're in their second season, it's impossible to say he's ready to lead us to the Super Bowl because there are so many good quarterbacks in the NFL who are clearly there, who have been there, who have played in games. And before they played all those games, they weren't ready. Right. So they just for Trey Lance, to in my opinion, it, the discussion about his readiness is about semantics. It's about, yeah, he's not ready right now in May but let's see what the season looks like. And maybe in December and January, you could say, all right, maybe Trey Lance is ready based on this actual body of work we have, which right now is largely incomplete. So um, let, let's move on to, to Debo Samuel and the fact that obviously the 49ers didn't trade him during the draft. To me, I think that's ultimately the biggest takeaway from the draft from the 49ers perspective, and that they decided not to trade him. Um, Debo Samuel has, has since, refollowed the 49ers on Instagram which we know is is clearly a big deal because when he unfollowed the 49ers on IG then the trade request became public short time thereafter um I've I've made you know I've made it pretty clear the, the my expectation is that I think the 49ers are and Debo Samuel are going to come to an agreement on a contract extension um I think there's been a lapse in communication. I think there's been some philosophical differences between Debo Samuel and and perhaps high-ranking members of the front office, from what I've been told. But I, I think ultimately nothing uh I don't think it's irreparable, right? And I think Debo Samuel re following the 49ers on Instagram, as trivial as that may seem, would indicate that things are probably headed down the right path. Um well, what's your what's your sense of what's happening? on the Devo Samuel front.
3: Yeah, from from both sides of this, it seemed like if something was going to happen, the best time for it, and by that I mean a trade, if that was going to happen, it would have happened either right before the draft or during the draft. And and I say that from both angles, one being if Devo Samuel was going to have a robust market and there was a team out there that was willing to not only give up the massive compensation that would have taken to get him, but also given him the contract required to sign him that was going to be the time to do it because teams are filling that need. You know, teams are spending high picks on a lot of receivers. We saw that little run on receivers in the first round, early in the second round. uh, And then that kind of eliminates the need and teams are less likely to want to spend that kind of money and give up those draft picks to do it. And then, of course, from the 49ers standpoint, it was we know what we're going to get. So if we want to make a deal now, we know that if it was the Jets say it was going to be the 10th pick as opposed to trading for a future one that, you don't know what it's going to be. Um, and the team, obviously, that would be acquiring him would be hoping it would be much later. So when you take that out of the equation, I think you're, you're now in a situation that the 49ers have been very adamant this whole time that they don't want to trade Debo Samuel. And they stuck by that. You know, the, the Tennessee Titans before that draft, I think Mike Vrabel's quote was, you know, we're not trading AJ Brown as long as I'm the coach. Well, last I checked, Mike Vrabel is still the coach, and AJ Brown is now a Philadelphia Eagle. But the Niners stood by that. And that tells you I think there's a significant difference in the way that those guys are valued by those by their organizations and what the 49ers think of Debo Samuel. And by the way, they should. Debo Samuel accounted for 28% of their yards from scrimmage last year, which was fourth most in the league. He is he is, you know, a very unique player that is very hard to replace. I think now what you're going to see is you kind of mentioned it a little bit, a little bit of a cooling off period here that's going on. I don't personally expect Debo to be at any of the offseason program here as we move forward for the next few weeks. If he does, obviously, that's a really good sign that they've been able to kind of mend fences. But I think the big thing for the 49ers and part of the reason that they are so kind of of the belief that they can fix this, that this isn't irreparable, is that they want to get. Debo Samuel in the building in some way or another, and that may just mean training camp, right? It may not be until then when he reports that they can sit down face to face and hash it out. And Kyle Shanahan made reference to that the weekend of the draft. He said, you know, a lot of this is things happening on screens and phones and all these types of things and it's really hard to do that and sometimes you need to just be face to face and sit down and air out whatever grievances you have and i think debo samuel does have some i think the 49ers would like to at least sit down and explain their side maybe what their what their viewpoint is of what his future looks like and how he's going to be used and all the things that you've heard discussed here at the end of the day it still comes back to money so if there is if that bridge whatever the bridge is that you know that gap can be bridged between the two sides financially, I think that there's still a way that they can work this thing out. And I still think in my heart of hearts, that's probably the most likely scenario. I, I never rule anything out, but I think that is the most likely situation is that Debo Samuel is back and not just back for the rest of this year, but, but probably on a long term contract. It just might take some time and maybe more than what people want it to at this point.
1: Yeah, I keep going back to the relationship that, that Kyle Shanahan and Debo Samuel have and, and how they talked about each other. And, um, you know, we've we've mentioned it before, but just all those conversations in Shanahan's office. Like, I have a hard time believing that Shanahan, who's, I think, pretty widely considered a player's coach, um, somebody who relates to players and, and can talk to players, at least a lot of other players have mentioned that, And I guess Debo mentioned it too, during, during last season, I I think there's, there's a common ground that they can get to. Um, And I think, you know, it it would behoove Debo Samuel to tie himself to Kyle Shanahan for, you know, the next four to five years of his career, given how, um, how good of an offensive mind Kyle Shanahan is. And and obviously it would behoove the 49ers to, to lock Samuel up for, for a little while here, given just how productive he was and, and, how he sort of became the heartbeat of the team last year. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship that's kind of unique. In that, I'm not saying Samuel wouldn't be gre- Samuel wouldn't be great if he went to another team, but he might be at his best with the 49ers. And the 49ers, the best version of their offense probably includes some version of Debo. So it it certainly makes sense for both sides to come together on this. And and look, we've seen the 49ers pay maybe perhaps overpay a lot of their own guys. So, you know, given the cap, the expectation that the cap's going to explode over the next couple of years, I think, and and the fact that Trey Lance is going to be on a rookie contract, the 49ers should have plenty of money to, to give Debo Samuel. And that that's even including getting Nick Bosa done um, at a contract. That's probably going to be about $30 million a year, I, I would guess. And so, um, you know they have some they have some maneuvering to do but i think if you just look at the parameters and and where things stand right now they they have plenty of avenues to do that
3: yeah and and i think you you just touched on something that's really important to note here is is that you know, a lot of people tie the Jimmy Garoppolo still being on the roster thing to uh Debo Samuels contract. And and I don't think they're necessarily related. I think there's ways the 49ers could do a Debo Samuel contract without touching Jimmy Garoppolo's deal. At the end of the day, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on the roster, at least at his current price, uh come September and, and maybe probably even before that, you know, they still have to get through. Uh, get a clean bill of health for him and then see what's what there. But I do think it's worth noting that Trey Lance being on a rookie contract enables you to do some of those things. And when you compare it to, say, Tennessee, where Ryan Tannehill is not paid you know, at the elite levels, like some of these guys, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and those guys, he is still paid a lot. And he's making a lot more than, say, Trey Lance would be. So there can be – a little bit of a trade-off in that regard. And, and I think the 49ers, a lot of this is probably going to come down to guaranteed money with Debo Samuel. And, and I think it probably should, because I think that there are some things uh, in terms of his usage that he's got to be thinking about. Uh, Percy Harvin is the guy that he gets compared to the most. Percy Harvin uh, did never had a year quite like Debo Samuel did last year, but the closest thing he did was in year three, uh, his third year, which was also the same as Debo. Percy Harvin had to get traded to Seattle to get his big contract, um, and he was never the same. He was never the same again. And so I think Debo Samuel is probably thinking about those kinds of things in terms of his usage. And I also think the 49ers are willing to work with him on his usage. You know, Kyle Shanahan has said we'd like to keep using Debo how we used him last year but that doesn't mean they're going to do it to that same extent. There were kind of extenuating circumstances there that led to that. And he was so good that, they wanted to keep doing it, but at the same time, if Elijah Mitchell wasn't banged up so much, if Jeff Wilson hadn't missed the first part of the season and some of the other, Raheem Mostert misses the entire season, all those things that that played into that. And you know, the 49ers go out and they spend a third round pick on a running back. I I don't think that's an accident. Um, as weird as it is to say, I think there are ways the 49ers can lighten the load on Devil Samuel while also kind of maintaining his explosiveness and his ability to be such a prominent playmaker in the offense.
1: So, yeah, I I do want to hit on um, Ty Davis Price in in a minute, but I I want to start, like, you know, starting with the first pick the 49ers made in the draft and and 61st overall. um, I know it's been, it's old news at this point, but um, it it would be good to hear your thoughts on it because I got to hear your thoughts last week when we recorded the first episode, or the first version of this pod, and uh, and so we got to revisit them. Um, To me, Drake Jackson is somebody that, had everything gone perfectly in his college career, had he um, not saw a bunch of turnover with his coaching staff at USC, had he played for the same defensive coordinator, um, the defensive line coach that recruited him initially was left the team right before signing day. Right. So there were, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances in terms of Drake Jackson's college career that led to, you know, him being asked to play different positions. He was, a pass rushing tight end. He was an outside linebacker who had to do things in space. Um, Ultimately, I think the thing that's intriguing to me about Drake Jackson is if everything had gone to plan or everything was smooth sailing throughout his college career and he was sort of maximized, this guy probably could have been a top 15 pick just based on his pure athleticism, his physicality, his, his skills, his size. Like, He's somebody with the very with a with the ceiling, I would say, of of a potential first round pick. But because of, you know, the fact that the draft class was a lot bigger, right? There were more edge players than we typically see um, go early in the draft. There were, you know, we had a couple different coordinators. His weight fluctuated a lot. To me, I really like the pick because it's a premium position, um, and it's a guy who fits the archetype. And if you envision him in Chris Kasurik's scheme and and his tutelage. Um, this could be somebody that turns out to be a great value at 61. What, what are you hearing about um, the way the 49ers feel and, and how they're looking at this pick?
3: Yeah, I mean, first of all, no one should be surprised that the 49ers continue to invest heavily in the defensive line. This is how they're built, and, and it's part of why I think they're going to keep Debo Samuel. The team's all about sacks and yak, and, and uh, Debo provides the yak and, and George Kittle and all those guys, and then the defensive line. Uh, I think what they're looking for here, and this is upside pie in the sky. Drake Jackson becomes what they believe he can be that he can become the D4 to Nick Bosa. You know what D4 was supposed to be to Nick Bosa, which is a little speedier, you know, fast kind of bendy guy off of the edge to complement the power and the technique of Bosa and, and all the things that he brings. And, Quite frankly, we saw how good that could be in small bursts with when D Ford was healthy, but it was so such a small burst that the 49ers have had to throw numbers at it to try to replace what they didn't have with d Ford um, and and it's obviously worked in a lot of ways because they have found some diamonds in the rough. but in terms of Drake Jackson, you touched on it a little bit there just a minute ago it wasn't just you know the changing coordinators and schemes and all those things and his weight fluctuating He didn't get a lot of chances to rush the passer you know they weren't they weren't ahead a lot they didn't have big leads where he could just kind of go after guys and so maybe that's why the production didn't necessarily match up with what the athleticism is and um some of those even his pass rush win, pass rush win rate i think was like 15% which was right uh, right near the top of guys i know in the Pac12 and i think even nationally Uh, he was up there. So there's a lot to like there. It's just a matter of kind of getting him to take that next step where he can finish those and get sacks. But it's also, he's going to be in a very beneficial situation because he's going to find himself getting a lot more one-on-one opportunities, which is, you know, even when he was at USC and he did have chances to rush the passer, he wasn't getting those. And and that's what I, you know, from talking to some scouts around the league and things like that, that's what they said. And, you know, this was a very deep Class in general, I think overall, people said that more more depth than it was top heavy, but it was really deep. And we joked about it a lot, but it was really deep at edge rusher. And so, you know, you just usually don't find those types of players late in the second round, because this wasn't just a mid or a early second round pick. It was late in the second round. And even a guy like Nick Benito, who went to the to the Broncos not long after, you know, these are guys who are usually at, at least going late first because that is such a premium position. And so the 49ers drafted him in, in belief in not only his athleticism, but the fact that they are giving, you know, kind of that athletic ball of clay to Chris Kasurik who, Widely around the league is is viewed as one of the best defensive line coaches, and has gotten a lot out of guys that you wouldn't expect. You've seen Kerry Hyder come in and have success. You saw what he did with Arden Key last year. Uh, so the, if you give him someone like this, who is built the way that Drake Jackson is, as long as he's putting in the work, Drake Jackson and meeting the the you know standards that Chris Kasurik has, uh, there's a chance that he could become a really good player, and he's in a really favorable situation. So it's kind of a win all the way around. And the other thing to remember is. Niners, you know, they don't have a lot of these defensive linemen signed beyond this year. So uh, getting someone in on a rookie contract, especially a second round rookie contract, which is amounts to nothing at that type of a premium position. If he can become even just a situational edge guy this year to rush the passer and then develop, continue to develop and take that next step next year, maybe where he's a three down guy, um, that would be that would be a home run. But the Niners do really like the upside there. And I think they like the, the match of that upside with, you know, a, a, a constant in Chris Kosarek, the defensive line coach.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: the discussion about value and, and premium positions and all that, you you go right to the Niners' second pick in the draft, which is Ty Davis Price, right? The running back from LSU, um, look, he might be really good, right? And if he's really good, then no one's going to – the discussion about uh, the 49ers overvaluing him or, or reaching and using a third-round pick to take him isn't really going to matter if he's good. But it's just in such stark contrast to what's been successful – um, under Kyle Shanahan and, and even going back to his father, Mike, and, and position coach Bobby Turner, who's taking the year off, is that you know the 49ers have continually found running backs late in the draft or undrafted guys that have been very productive for them. So for them to use a third-round pick for the second straight year on a running back certainly raises some eyebrows. But one thing that does stand out to me is – You know, aside from quarterback sneaks, the 49ers were not a particularly good short yardage team. Third and short was obviously a big problem, thinking back most recently to the NFC Championship game in the fourth quarter, and that you know, they had Elijah Mitchell, who I think is a very good running back, but I don't think optimized Elijah Mitchell is really a great short yardage guy. I think he's a he's an outside zone guy. He can do he can do things in early downs, but I think ultimately you'd want a little bit more of a sledgehammer for short-yarded situations. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, the the issues they had at running back, the lack of depth throughout a lot of the season last year led to Debo Samuel having to to take on so many of those carries. So value aside, and and you know, positional value and drafting somebody a, a running back in the third round aside, it makes sense for the 49ers to get somebody. Who could help them in short yardage but you know it's it's a delicate balance so what's what's your viewpoint on uh, on the 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 value discussion versus hey if if this guy ends up being a really good short yardage guy or a change of pace guy from Elijah Mitchell this could really end up being a a quality pick if if this guy ends up playing well
3: yeah it's a couple of different discussions going on at the same time and and I think that a lot of people say, oh, Ty Davis Price is a reach. I'm not one of those people because I don't I don't know. I didn't sit here and, you know, grind the tape of these running backs. The 49ers obviously have a history of finding good ones for the most part, although the ones that they've struggled with uh, have been in those middle rounds, whether clearly Trey Sermon, they, they're not super high on or they wouldn't have done this. Uh, Joe Williams was the one before that in the fourth round. So the issue that I had was more about taking a running back in that spot. And I tweeted right after they made the pick. In the years since Kyle Shanahan and John John Lynch took over in 2017, they've had a different leading rusher all five years. Three of those were undrafted guys, uh, which was was Jeff Wilson Jr., which was Raheem Mostert, and who's the uh who's Matt the, Brita. And Matt Brita, yep. And then and then last year, Elijah Mitchell, who was a sixth rounder, and the fifth was a carryover, a holdover, which was Carlos Hyde, who obviously was, a, was an early pick, but by a different regime and so you know there are people who say well how are you who are you to criticize them for taking a running back here and it's like this is nothing against the player i think the player could be good i, I have no idea how the player is going to try we don't know how any of these players are going to turn out um it, it's actually more of a compliment to say the 49ers have had great success finding running backs either late in the draft or after the draft and the best example is the most recent one they 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 had a sixth rounder last year and you can vouch for me on this on this Chris in training camp I was saying this kid's better than Sermon I like I like Elijah Mitchell a lot like this guy's a really good player and so um they that ability you would think would give them a little bit more flexibility in the draft where they don't have to commit to that and I say all that to say at the same time I also understand why they wanted a running back because of all the reasons that we just laid out here where Every year they've gone through multiple, like uh, there was all those five leading rushers. Have any of them even hit a thousand yards? I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I don't think they have. So you, you haven't had that one guy who's been able to be the bell cow for the, for the entire season. And so I understand why they do that. I just felt like their, their resources, particularly in that third round, and especially in a year where you don't have a first round pick were better spent. Somewhere else, and that offensive line is the issue that I think is is the biggest concern. Um, they don't seem to be as worried about safety and maybe some of those other things, but uh, they obviously drafted other offensive linemen and corners to to kind of bolster maybe those weaker areas. But um, I just I just felt like in that particular moment there was a, a better a better approach and a better use of those resources. But again, I don't blame them for wanting to bolster the running back situation. I just think that they're almost a victim of their own success in some ways because they've been able to find those guys for so long that uh, the ones that they've brought in early just haven't worked out.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, look, like the the discussion about value aside, they, they need to avoid situations where they're signing Jaquez Patrick and Brian Hill in the middle of the season to actually have them active on game days because they don't have depth at running back, right? Wow, like Jacquez that,
3: Patrick just catching a stray for
1: no reason. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it, it was their running back depth, was a real problem for them last year. Like you mentioned, Raheem Mostert lost her the season week 1. Trey Sermon gets hurt week 2 and then, you know, as a rookie, it's it's pretty hard to to reintegrate back into the mix at that point. And the 49ers were just signing street free agents. Like th- during the regular season, a team with Super Bowl aspirations is signing guys like Jaquez Patrick and brian hill because just out of pure necessity right and so
3: because patrick averaged six yards a carry chris i'll have you know
1: how many carries did he have two two for 12 (laughs) so just saying i the numbers buddy look well don't talk to me talk to kyle shanahan (laughs) because apparently those numbers weren't good enough for him to stick around but yeah i mean they need depth and and so you know we can go back to the Debo samuel thing and say maybe ty davis price helps them take some of some of the load at least as a running back off of Debo Samuel and all those carries he got last year. But um, I want to move on to Danny Gray, who to me could be a really, really interesting wrinkle to this offense because we know Kyle Shanahan loves speed, but he hasn't really had a great speed receiver. And I don't know if Danny Gray is going to be a, a, you know, quote unquote great speed guy, but you look at Trey Lance and how much better he is, throwing the deep ball than Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, You look at the 49ers just overall need to create space in the middle of the field, not only for the running game, but just in general, like if you were defending the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo, at quarterback, you would see a lot of teams loading the box, knowing that, all right, Jimmy Garoppolo is probably not going to beat us over the top. He's he makes his money in the middle of the field and teams would really pack the middle of the field. And, and, to Jimmy Garoppolo's credit he was still relatively successful despite defenses approaching him that way so now you get a speedster in Danny Gray who i think is is really potentially a souped up version of Richie James right um, and and i think the ceiling for the passing game is is potentially a lot higher with a really with an effective speed element which the 49ers haven't really had frankly since Marquise Goodwin in what 20 17, 2018, whenever he he came close to a thousand yards. Um, And so, you know, I I think Danny Gray is good after the catch. He, he made, he has really good play speed. Obviously the drops were an issue, but I think that can be something that he works on. And ultimately the big plays would, would offset some of those drops. And we even saw Debo Samuel have some drops, Um, but that hasn't really changed our opinion of him too much. Uh, so what's, what are you hearing about Danny gray and, and how the team views his fit into Kyle Shanahan's offense?
3: Yeah, I think the, the big thing with Danny gray, you just touched on it a little bit is that he's not a one trick pony. He's not a Mike Wallace where he's just running nine routes and they're just throwing it up over and hoping that he runs it down. And it's a touchdown where, you know, he's going to have two catches, but they might go for 65 yards or whatever, you know, and, and, a touchdown every game, the, the element that he brings beyond just the speed and he can't do that, that stuff. And I think that is a big part of why he's here, but the, the run after catch ability, again, it it goes back to yak. Like that is a huge focal point of the 49ers when they're looking for pass catchers and uh, Danny gray last year. I think uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but I tweeted it out. It was something like 10.6 yards after catch. Uh, Per reception, which, you know, if you want to put that in context, I think Debo was a little over 11 last year, which led the NFL, obviously different levels of competition, but nonetheless, uh, I think that speaks uh, very highly of what Danny Gray brings to the table just beyond being a deep ball threat. And so you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. The other thing is, is if you look at the 49ers depth wise right now at receiver, you have to be a little bit leery because there isn't a lot of proven options beyond Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. And, uh, you know, Jawan Jennings came on strong at the end of last year. I think you've got something there that you can continue to use him kind of in that Kendrick Bourne role where he's a guy that you look for, particularly on third downs. But they're going to need another guy. And, and, you know, we've seen injury issues with with Samuel in the past, Brandon Ayuk in the past. So uh, having another guy who can do a little bit of everything and then also mixing him in when everybody's healthy – is a benefit, but they're going to need Danny Gray to, I think, to contribute this year. They've they've talked up Ray Ray McLeod uh, quite a bit, who they signed mainly as a returner, but they you know they've talked him up a little bit as a potential at receiver. But at some point or another, they're going to need both of those guys, and particularly Gray, I think, to contribute as soon as this season, uh, just because there's a role for him, but there's also you know not a lot of depth at that position.
1: Another takeaway I had from the draft overall was that the 49ers did not take a center. And one thing you Kyle and I have been been mentioning in the in the group chat is, you know, that a lot of teams look at center and guard sort of it, like you could have a center a draft a center come in and have him play guard and then eventually, you know, switch over to center um, as he gets more comfortable in the league. But the 49ers offense, the center seems very different from guard in that the center tends to be more athletic. It's more about getting in space and being able to, um, you know, get out ahead of a linebacker and, and cut him off, particularly on those wide zone plays, right? And, and often, you know, we, it, when you think about 49ers centers, it's not somebody that you necessarily, you know, run right behind, right? It's not a, 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 an overly powerful player. It's more of a fleet-footed guy. Whereas, you know, the, the interchangeability along the offensive line is more about guard and tackle, I think with Kyle Shanahan's offense. And so the 49ers had a very clear need at guard and they drafted Spencer Burford from UT San Antonio in the fourth round and Nick Zakel in the sixth round, the tackle out of Fordham, who's super athletic, um, but they didn't get a center. And so You know, I think they have a lot of a a lot of viable candidates now to to maybe develop into those guard spots, which obviously you have a big void left by Lake and Tomlinson leaving in free agency. Um, You don't feel great necessarily about Daniel Brunskill at right guard. You know, he can be serviceable there, but you'd ultimately like to upgrade. But again, the big takeaway here is that they didn't take a center and they added a they they added a guy in undrafted free agency who a lot of people thought might have been a mid round pick. Um, the center out of Arizona state, but they're the way they handled it seems to indicate that they feel good about the center spot, which means either Alex Mack is coming back or um, they, they might have some sort of unwritten agreement with JC Treder, a free agent of the Browns, who's been a pretty good center for a long time in the league. Um, what's your feel for, for how the 49ers are approaching the center position and and are they as content as they made it seem uh, during the draft by by not addressing the position directly?
3: Yeah, there's a lot to kind of unpack with that. And um, I know center conversations really move the needle, so this will be good. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the thing with Alex Mack, it's been so weird because at the owners meetings down in, in, in Palm Beach in March, John Lynch really struck a kind of a very optimistic tone of Alex Mack is – likely to be back. We'll let him make the announcement, but we're real optimistic about it and all that stuff. So I think the assumption was, okay, this is probably going to happen, but in the back of everyone's mind, it was still, you know, the Joe Staley, there were similar things said about that. Let's see how the draft plays out. And then the week of the draft on that Monday, John Lynch struck a very different tone, which was kind of like, well, we don't want to break the guy's news. We'll let him say something whenever he's ready to do it. And didn't just didn't sound very optimistic about Alex Mack returning. Fast forward again to Friday night uh, of the draft after they they used the, those picks in the second and third round, and John Lynch was asked about Alex Mack again. Hey, has anything changed here? And John Lynch said, well, it's still kind of the same situation, but we have all the information that we need to have to do this draft. Well, if they have all the information that they need to do the draft and then they don't draft a center, it kind of, it, to me, would say – They still think either out, like you said, Alex Mack is coming back or they have another option that they feel good about, which, yeah, maybe it is JC Treader. Maybe it's Jake Brendel and we're underestimating how much they like him. I would just be very surprised because of how much Kyle Shanahan values that position and how much experience that he likes having there. I would be surprised if that was the case. So uh, there's still a lot of ways this could play out, but uh, it, it leads me to believe that Mac is definitely more in play to come back than, than we thought. Um, but it also makes you wonder if maybe Alex Mack has just been very unsure, which is our, our friend Eric Branch, I know, reported a few weeks ago that he was undecided. So uh, right around the time, John Lynch kind of changed his tone. So... Um, I, I don't really know how that's going to play out, and so uh, to get to your point about kind of the the flexibility of the positions and things like that, I think it speaks to a couple of things. Number one, uh, a lot of the centers that they look at are generally okay playing center, but probably too small to play guard. Um, they're athletic enough to, but they're too small to do it. And so I also think they don't value guard as much, and and that's okay. You know, you can't put your resources into Everything, but you know, it's why they didn't re sign Lakin Tomlinson at the premium that he was going. They were just never going to pay a guard that kind of money. Uh, but also, and you get into the draft and you get those kind of you know guard type of guys who are highly rated, you usually have to spend early resources on them. And I don't think the 49ers want to do that in terms of like a first round pick. I know they used a two on Aaron Banks last year, and that was a little bit out of character, but they were kind of in a position to be able to do it because they didn't have a lot of other needs. But when you look at the guys, what they're, what they are hoping to get out of these kind of tackle guard guys, I think a lot of it is, is a guy who they know it. He, he's tackle. He's, he's big enough, but he's not too big in terms of, you know, bulk and size and weight and all that stuff. But he's also got athleticism because you've got to be athletic to play tackle. So if you're athletic enough to play tackle in college, you may not be athletic enough to play tackle in the NFL, but you are athletic enough to play guard in the NFL. And, and so, I think that's kind of why they look at those guys. And I think that's why you have that big clump of guys now that they feel good about. Obviously they're hoping Aaron banks can be one of those guys. I think he's, clearly the front-runner to be your starting left guard. But then you have a whole group, the two guys you just mentioned, Zakel and and Burford uh, moving in as rookies this year, but also Colton McKivitz, Jalen Moore, who they've talked up a lot. Uh, I think that they really were hopeful he would play guard last year, but then Justin School got hurt. So there's been a lot of machinations there, but if nothing else, they have bodies to throw at it, and and, and I think their hope is, is that they'll be able to piece it together, but that center spot is, is, is definitely the one to watch because it's one that I think matters a lot in this offense.
1: Okay. I'll get you out of here on this. Who are you looking forward to watching most at at rookie minicamp?
3: A Terrible question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was a joke. It was very, yeah, yeah. last year, last year is the first time in my almost 20 years of doing this that I was interested to go to rookie minicamp practice because, you know, you want to see Trey Lance and, and you got a quarterback. Uh, so, so that was the trade off last year. It was interesting and kind of like the draft last year, the draft was very interesting this year. Not so much. So, uh, yeah, I can't say there's anyone. Speci- I would just be lying. Uh, if, there, if I said there was somebody specifically, in that. I would like to see Danny Gray's speed in person. Let's let, let's go with that.
1: I mean, you're going to have opportunities to get engagement with, you know, the first Drake Jackson photo and uh, the red and gold. Like, think about all the likes you can get on Twitter. And we, maybe we, all, Instagram. we all know that's
3: something I vehemently pursue is, <laughs> is, is Twitter clout. That is right at the top of my list to, to track down. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be out there doing it.
1: All right. Well, we'll add that to your many, your many titles as a, uh, as a friend of the pod, our favorite cast member and a uh, pursuer of Twitter clout, uh, Nick I'm Wagner. <laughs> obsessed with it. Somewhat. <laughs> Nick Wagner, ESPN, NFL nation reporter covering the 49ers. Our great pal um, does an excellent job. Check him out on the mothership uh, ESPN.com where a lot of people read your stuff. Like the numbers are, are bananas. I, I'm jealous, but anyway, um thanks for joining us nick and uh we'll have to do this at some point real soon um maybe when kyle comes back from his honeymoon if if he Is ever, he ever gonna come back from his honeymoon it's yeah, a great question he he told me this week that he's he's not gonna be back this week either so um i don't know maybe i mean they already got married so he's not like eloping so like i don't and he's know, in whatever. he's
3: in he's in our nation's capital right so yeah he just are they just gonna go every
1: museum like point by point and maybe he's becoming an activist and he's like marching and protesting and all sorts of you know demonstrations
3: I mean yeah I I just I I, I could just see (laughs) him compiling a list of you know all the things that he's got grievances about and then At the end, it just says
1: N-A, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're to the point where the inside jokes would probably be on the listeners, so we will check you guys out, or you guys can check us out later in the week. We will have another podcast. Um, I'm going to scramble to get another guest, so not to bother Nick again. And uh, subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll talk to you guys soon.
2: The headlines remind us daily.